Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public, featuring lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about NBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matter to all of us. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and today we discuss the Massachusetts Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission, also known as the Post Commission, named in April 2021. Created by the legislature and signed by Governor Baker in December of 2020, an act relative to justice, equity, and accountability in law enforcement in the Commonwealth. Former Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey appointed MBA past president Marsha Kazarogian to serve on the Post Commission, and we're delighted to welcome her to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast. Let's talk, first of all, about why this commission came about in the first place, Marsha. Sure. Um, this commission was created as part of the so-called Police Reform Act, and it happened on an emergency basis. It was um, pushed through the House and Senate, I think, December 31st, 2020, and they determined that it was an act needed to immediately preserve public safety. It's called the Criminal Justice Reform Act. And so the Post Commission was created because Massachusetts has had no, up until that point in time, commission or any entity that had oversight over all of the law enforcement agencies and officers in the Commonwealth, which is a little unusual because most states had some sort of commission, whether it was called a post commission, uh, which is Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission. So this came through um, December 31st, 2020. Post was then established and we were all appointed as commissioners on April 1st or some point in April. Right set up to, um, you know, basically provide oversight, authority to discipline, ensure accountability, integrity, unbiased policing, a number of different goals that are set forth in the statute. Let me ask you how it's comprised. Who are the members? Let's start with that. This is an incredible commission, actually. There are nine members of the commission, and the statute has certain requirements about what makes up the commission. So, for example, the commission by statute has to consist of police officers or law enforcement officers, people with a legal background, with the lawyer or judge, sort of lay people who have a background in social work or mental health or faith-based. I'd like to, if I could, just talk about or introduce sort of the nine members of the commission. Is Uh, that appropriate? That would be terrific. I think we'd love to know the makeup. Absolutely. So for the law enforcement side of it, we have three members. One is uh, a police chief who there has to be a police chief uh, by statute. We have uh, Commissioner Chief Mike Wynn, who's the chief of the Pittsfield Police Department. We have Lawrence Calderon, who is the chair and president of the Massachusetts Law Enforcement Policy Group and the president of the Boston Police Patrolmen's Association. And again, there has to be one person by statute who is in law enforcement and a representative mm-hmm. of a, I think, a police union. Right. And and so Larry Calderon fits that bill. And we also have Larry Ellison, who is a detective in the Boston Police Department's school unit. So then we have the so-called lay people or people who are faith-based social workers, mental health professionals. We have Commissioner Clementina Sherry, who is an ordained senior chaplain and the co-founder and CEO of the 
Lewis D. Brown Peace Institution in Boston. That's an institution that was named uh, for her son, Lewis, who was killed in the crossfire of a shootout back in 1993. We have Commissioner Charlene Luma, who is a licensed social worker, and she is the chief of the Victim Witness Assistance Program for the Suffolk County DA's office. And we have Commissioner Hanya Bluestone, who is a licensed psychologist, and she is the CEO of Labyrinth Psychological Services in Holden, and she specializes in trauma and behavioral treatment. And then for the three commissioners with a legal judicial background, we have our chair, a commission chair who is retired Superior Court Judge Margaret Hinkle, who now serves as an alternate dispute resolution professional with JAMS. And, and again, by statute, the commission has to have a retired Superior Court judge. We have attorney Kimberly West of the Ashcroft Law Firm in Boston, and she was chief counsel of the Criminal Bureau of the Mass Office of the Attorney General. And she's a former trial attorney who was in the office of the prosecutor of the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in The Hague, Netherlands. And then there's me. <laughs> and then there's you. Well, you come you come highly qualified as well, Marsha. Obvious that this is a very well thought out, very diverse, and very all-encompassing panel of people from all areas, including the police. They're well represented. So it makes a lot of sense. I think anybody would agree. Um, let's talk about certification and recertification of police because the general public is unaware of the process. And does the Post Commission take an active role in the process? Yes, the Post Commission does. We are authorized and empowered to certify and decertify law enforcement officers and agencies in the Commonwealth. So prior to Post, there was no one central entity or one overseeing entity of the entire Commonwealth which I think includes about 20,000 law enforcement officers in one area or another. So prior to post, there was no such entity. And in most states, there was an entity that would have a certain number of requirements that had to be met to be certified to act as a police officer. So post does certify and decertify. When post was first created, and I'm going to say this is in April of 2021, because that's basically when we were all appointed and started getting up and running, so to speak. We had a lot of very quick deadlines to meet. And obviously, we have all these law enforcement officers that need to be certified under the statute in order to serve as law enforcement. So if you have about 20,000, you certainly don't want to have a situation where nobody's certified until they're going through the process. So the statute provided that all of these law enforcement officers or candidates or whoever you want to call them uh, would be certified until June 30th. And then we'd start a process of going through a review of all these officers to sort of recertify them, even mm. though they are technically certified by statute for a short period of time. And then we certify them or recertify. So it makes sense. Forward. You were staggering the process yes. so that uh, we would safety first, of course, is right. what was in mind. Just a quick uh, follow up on that. Is an officer, uh, and we're talking about peace officers, including mm -hmm. uh, schools, universities throughout the and land, right? Hospitals. Yes. Yeah, great. Is an officer certified one time and then there's a particular term before the recertification has to be developed? What is that all about? Yes. Once you're certified, and, and when I say certified, I'm not talking about the initial everybody certified time frame. Right, right. We, what we've started at, after June 30th, we started going through the alphabet. So you start with A through H, and we've just completed 
the process for officers A through H. Um, and I think that that list is going to be published very shortly, if it hasn't already. Uh, and that's about 8,800 officers, which actually also, I believe, includes the most recent December 31st, 2021 graduates of the police academy. So we go through them staggering. So A through H, we have certifications and they, they have a process that everyone has to meet. And then next year we start, I think it's I through P and then go through the end of the alphabet. But A through H, for example, if they're certified now, whoever you are, um, that's a three-year certification. And then in three years, you're up for renewal or recertification. I see. Uh, although things could happen in the meantime that may result in a, an officer's or a candidate's or someone's uh, certification being suspended or that they're decertified. So there are things that can happen in the meantime. But barring anything else, it's a three-year period, basically. If the public is interested in knowing the status of a particular police officer or department, uh, do we, the public, have access to that information? Only insofar as the list that will be, if it's not already, it's like any minute now, published regarding the certifications of A through H. A through H, okay. And it's a confusing situation because everyone right now is is sort of certified until they go through the process for this more in-depth uh, method of certification. So A through H right now has gone, have gone through this recertification process, and I'll call it recertification. Um, that list will be available. Mm -hmm. What would be some of the overriding reasons why uh, certification would be held up or recertification might be denied? Right now, the process of recertification involves things such as instead of the post commission interviewing each and every candidate individually, which is nearly impossible, we would we are able to rely on certifications or attestations of police chiefs, for example, mm -hmm. or any the employing agencies. In order to be certified, an officer or a candidate has or recertified, an officer or a candidate uh, must be attested to by the police chief or the agency, an official from the agency. If the police chief or official from the agency will not attest, that's a situation where the officer may not be recertified until whatever is going on, whether it's discipline in the process regarding that officer, whether it's some kind of um, inquiries by the agency, then they will not be recertified until that is remedied. Or if, for example, an officer is um, charged with a felony or uh, indicted, then if they are certified, they may be conditionally, amid, excuse me, they may be suspended. Mm -hmm. And if an officer is convicted of a felony, for example, this is one of the situations, then they can no longer be certified, so they would be decertified. Of course, and there's a process for that, right? That and all of that makes makes sense. Absolutely. What about a probationary period if there's an investigation going on? Uh, obviously, you've got representatives for the police unions, and they're very concerned about things like this. Mm -hmm. That taken into consideration as part of the post commission's duties? It, yes, I don't know if it would be called probationary, but it's a suspended. So, if there's a, a preliminary investigation, there's something going on, or an inquiry. And uh, POST has the ability to suspend a certification pending the outcome of that inquiry or investigation. 
And that inquiry may just be within the department, may end up coming to us. I asked you earlier about the public's access. What about the public contacting the Post Commission? Is that being advised? Is it done? Are people reaching out? Absolutely. There is, first of all, Post has a website on the mass.gov overall website, just Google Post Commission. And there is, I believe, a complaint that anyone can click onto to start the process if they are concerned or, or wish to have post-review conduct or what they think is inappropriate behavior by an officer or an agency. There's one particular question that uh, has come up, and it's one that people have seen on their local newscasts and elsewhere. When police officers are disciplined and in some cases removed from a particular department, oftentimes we find out that they end up in another department in the same state or elsewhere. Is this a something that the Post Commission is looking into? I can't comment on anything specifically, but I am aware of what of these concerns we all are. And Post looks into everything. <laughs> that is appropriate and within their authority. Right now, I don't believe there's any kind of national registry that that is comprehensively um, showing that a police officer who was disciplined or decertified in one state can be tracked to another. I'm not sure that exists in a really comprehensive fashion. But obviously right now, until we started getting up and running and we started providing the certifications for these A through H officers, there's really been no way or no central um, processing system to show this police officer was fired or this police officer was suspended or accused of misconduct. So that up until now has been pretty impossible to and, deal with. And it's still very young. It's only been a couple of years. So there's a lot of work not on the even, table. Not even not two even. years. Has the commission heard from rank and file peace officers in anecdotally and what they think of this? Uh, what's been the reaction, as far as you can tell? You no, know, I think as a rule, and and we hear we hear from individual law enforcement officers. We also have our three law enforcement representatives on the commission who are able to share their. Um, constituents, so to speak, their feelings. For example, uh, Larry Calderon, who is in the union. So they, I think overall, I don't think there's anyone that does not want to have unbiased policing with integrity and accountability. And that includes all the police officers, the peace officers, our law enforcement officers. Are some people concerned about the process or the time frame it takes or whether things might be considered in a fair manner or because they're not sure of how this is all going to happen. I'm sure there are plenty of um, law enforcement officers out there who have concerns, and I just hope that they will continue to voice them so that we understand what they are and we can respond. Right. So, Marsha, as we roll up our sleeves, and it's a very busy holiday season while we're recording this, what is ahead for 2023? I would imagine I through Z in the letter. Right. <laughs> in the letter scheme. Right. Starting out with that. Um, we're still working on staffing. We, I mean, we've really done a lot of staffing in a very quick period of time because the commissioners, this is not our full-time job uh, for most of us. 
if not all of us. So it's been very hard to get up and running without a staff, but staff has come on. We have a superb staff of investigators and attorneys and um, administrative staff, but we need more people and uh, we need patience <laughs> and trust because every one of our commissioners, every one of the commissioners is really completely committed to our tasks at hand. We all want to get this done the right way. And I think if you look at the statute and everything that we're authorized to do and what we're empowered to do, I think we have one of, if not the best, statutes for a post-commission of all of the states that we've hmm. looked through, because many states are have a more narrow view. Some may not have the same teeth that we have. But I remember when I was first on the um, commission, looking up what other states had, and I was really impressed with our statute, which is actually Mass General Law, Chapter 6E. It is, it's got teeth and it wants to get the job done. And it will get the job done. And finally, you're a past president of the Mass Bar Association, a very active, involved member. Uh, the role of the MBA, since this is the MBA podcast, the role of the MBA in not only getting this thing off the ground, but in making sure that the, the wheels keep spinning. You want to comment on that? Oh, absolutely. Well, my position specifically was one by that was created by statute that gave the MBA the power to have one appointee, basically the MBA was um, given an appointee that had to be drawn from five nominations given to um, the AG and the governor um, for this position that I'm sitting in. And that position had to come from the uh, so uh, Civil Rights and Social Justice Section Council. So it was very specifically laid out with the MBA having a very important seat at this table at the very inception of this statute and of the commission. And I'm very well aware of that and uh, want to make sure that I represent properly. I would say you're doing a fine job. This is not easy. And it's also something that was necessary. The timing was perfect. Going forward, you're doing the best job you can in a very fair and judicious manner. Thank you so much for joining us today, Marcia, and giving us an update on the Post Commission. Well, thank you for having me, Jordan, because I think it's so important for everyone to understand what the Post Commission does, what we don't do. The more people know about it and understand what it's all about, the less fearful they are. And I think this is really important. So I appreciate you having me on today. Our thanks to MBA past president, Marsha Kazarosian, a commissioner with the Post Commission. Find out many more details about the commission at mass.gov. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and more. Now, if you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Call 866-627-7577. Again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.